Welcome to the second episode of Assembly Required, brought to you by Vault Games here in sunny Brisbane, Queensland. I am joined today by Jess. Hello. And Dom. Hello, the people. Uh, and tonight uh, we're going to be talking about two things. We've got uh, Warhammer 40,000 8th edition wrap up, like where we've been going since we started uh, playing it. Uh, and the brand new uh, faction coming out of uh, Warmer Hordes, uh, the Grimkin. So starting off, Warhammer 40,000, gents. Let's begin. Good so far. Yeah, good so far. Yeah. yeah. Um, played a fair few games. It definitely seems to have sped up the game. A couple of people notwithstanding, you know, uh, the speed of the game can become very dependent. You and me, Dylan, playing is always going to be a bit faster, but it's... They've cut out a lot of the bit of uh, superfluousness. The the detail and the rules can slow you down, so you can just get straight down to the tactics and dice rolling. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and the thing is that, like, for you and I, for anyone who who may have seen us play, um, I doubt that would be many listening. Um, but for Dom and I to play play a game of Warhammer, it's usually a really fast game for us. We just kind of fudge the rules that we don't know into what we think kind of works, and then. Um, just kind pick of it up keep, later. yeah pick it up later and just keep the game moving uh and what i've got to say is the way eighth edition is running right now uh so much faster um well when i say faster i mean so much more is happening for such little effort mm-hmm. and and yes. that to me is just it's it's made it so much more fun again oh yeah it's it's gotten quite heavy on the dice side, which is kind of neither here nor there. Like at first, I was a bit worried that it would be a bit more dicey than tactics, but as I'm starting to get used to the way they've changed the tactics and where it's now coming in, it's there. It's just a lot more uh, simple, intuitive. There's a lot less of oh, in this situation you can't do this thing. It's just psychic phase is probably a good example. Mm. There's no restrictions on when you can use psychic powers. You advanced. You're in combat. You're you're you just disengage whatever. You can still go and do that turn and just use yeah. those powers. Go, go tear stuff up with that uh, the good old smite. Usually to my veins so far. Need more psychics. <laughs> mm-hmm. One thing that I've discovered a lot at the moment too, uh, Tyranids. Uh, the, they, uh, six ed. Oh, yeah. Uh, seventh ed, they, like, I just, I did not love playing them at all. Um, They've been a lot nicer. Fifth. But in, in eighth ed, holy shit it is so much fun playing tyranids now um like typically i wouldn't go a troop heavy list like like uh those that have seen my my tyranids lists usually see that it's mainly a monstrous creature fest um and like it i don't need a lot of monstrous creatures anymore to do lots of damage it's and even the carnifex is like whole. it was like what a whole a whole turn of shooting and you got him to one wound dom that was that to me is just like it's so great to to have that ability now, and the the multi wound, uh, the multi damage weapons, being specialized to take out not only monstrous creatures and and uh, vehicles, um, really brings a new tactical sense to what you include in your army's weapon list, uh, and then also what you're what you're shooting at during the game itself. Like, is it worth? You know, pumping everything into that Fex and trying bringing it down, or do I just go? Oh, I'll take out the little squads and maybe the Las Cannon will finish him off. Like, it's it's a juggle. Oh yeah, it's it's also quite interesting on that level to see um, 
as it's going on between the points and the uh, the PowerPoints rules they've got going there, whether you're doing the, the competitive or the, the more just, you know, freestyle gameplay. Getting in those heavier anti-big thing weapons, as always, they're super expensive. Your LAS cannons, your melted guns cost a lot more than, than some of the smaller anti-infantry weapons. But you need them. Like, you can use small arms to throw at the big things, but it's it's not particularly effective unless yeah. you have some form of AP or some form of multi-wound there. So you actually have that kind of balance. Do you take lots of firepower for those small things or get a couple of those big weapons? But when you switch to the PowerPoint rules... That all goes out. You're not paying points for the difference of weapon. You can go for all of those anti-big weapons. And over, over time, I'm actually curious to see how many people exploit that, get the most expensive things, and pay for it by just not having enough um, anti-fodder. Yeah, absolutely. And even, like, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how those exploitation exploitations start, um, start creeping out into the games um, now that 8th edition's fully dropped. Um but I got to say, even when we were playing the quick the quick build, like just straight up power, I think we did a thirty power game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, yeah. The game came down to to two more two units aside. Uh, sorry, one unit aside. Like it was just. Um, yeah, they've been quite well balanced so far. Yeah. I'm actually impressed by that by uh, such a what seemed to be ambiguous thing to begin with. And even when I translate the points now, it's a bit it's a bit odd. You you, you may be taking into account tactical assumptions, but those assumptions are holding true. Yeah, absolutely, and it's 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 a great way to play. It's five minutes to build a list, and you're just like, all right, let's do this. Let's play some games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jess, uh, what are your thoughts on Eighth Edition? Man, you had a chance to play it. Any new things spring into mind? Uh, no, my biggest thing was just the speed at which things happen. Not so much necessarily the play, but the turn one charges. Turn one charges were great. Like I was oh, playing yeah. units. Um, I had probably half my army in combat. On the first turn, yeah, that so. that was one of the big things for me in sixth and seventh is that you just you wait forever to do anything in Tyranids. Like you're like, all right, well, the whole turn is just me getting shot. Oh um, yeah, they they actively blocked you in the old ones. You couldn't come in from reserves and assault. Now you can, and the, they've clearly pushed for a much more off like offensive style of gameplay. You know, they've made all these weapons that are what would have been the equivalent of assault. You can charge after doing anything. It's Use your use your advances. Get in the enemy's face and hit them. Get the assault and hit first. Yeah, yeah, and the mm. being able to uh, run and shoot with assault weapons as well helps nids in a lot of cases. Oh yeah, a few races. Tau too, having a look at them, man. They got assault weapons all over the place between them and the Eldar. Yeah, no. So I oh, know my general was pretty much what you guys summed up. So it was you know very smooth to play, very easy to play. I've only played two matches myself, but I have helped a few people with the rules on some other matches, and even mm-hmm. people that were less familiar with the game in general picked it up very quickly, which was good to see. Yeah, that's actually one thing I've I've got to say about Eighth Edition as well. In terms of teaching it to newer players, it it is a lot easier to do. Like it's it's still an absolute drain like any miniatures game is you got to devote a solid half hour to an hour of direct teaching people how to play the game um Mm -hmm. but this edition is it's so much easier it's just step by step by step done it's none of this fiddling around with the book going well this guy does this and he also does this wait two minutes while i find the page he also does this so having you know the stat sheets with everything on there is helpful um, and then just stepping through the rules quite easily, just, just, you know, move, charge, fight, done. It's, um, oh, 
so much faster oh, yeah. to teach. Yeah, we well, can see the, the the whole rules are you get the uh, Dark Imperium uh, box set, and you get that little fold out leaf leaflet, the GM kind of screen. Yeah, all the rules are there on five or six pages. Everything you need to play. Absolutely, yeah. Not not to mention that the uh, the rule book is is now become I'd say getting close to about seventy percent fluff. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not going to complain about that though. So good read. True. Very true. I do like the amount of law stuff they've going on. The world being active and alive and yeah. And actually moving forward with the storm splitting off a good chunk of the Imperium now. Mm-hmm. Should Demon be interesting. Back. I, I want to see which other Primarchs start coming back. Uh, I believe the current suggestion is Mortarian is coming back. Oh yeah, next easy. Yeah. He was never dead though. I want to see I want to see if Vaughn's really uh, Dawn's really dead. <sighs> Man, Bring back my golden boy. <laughs> yeah it's gonna be um it's gonna be an interesting year or so i think coming up when they once they get through all the codexes um yes. and start bringing back more of the narrative stuff like when they started doing the gathering storm stuff and bringing out narrative based models and narrative based books um well that's something i'm i'm wondering with the codexes coming out too if they won't just keep playing on that as they bring out the codex bring out someone new bring out something to go with it which is it's also good to see they are bringing the codexes and so soon something we previously mentioned in the, in the first podcast was just the whole hey these rules have come out but they're a little bit um vanilla yeah looks like they bring that flavor straight back out and i'm really excited for that and not just because the what, first and third book covers most of my armies <laughs> <laughs> yes you're one of the few people that only needed to buy two indexes to cover their armies yeah i have to buy a few new books soon i'm curious to see how much they're gonna set me back yeah that's that's uh one thing we don't know yet is the the end of pricing for us down here in the uh, land of kangaroos and vegemite um whether that's going to be another another hit or whether they're going to continue the reduced pricing model that they seem to be following along with all their stuff. I, I don't know. I've seen the price of the, I've seen the price of the new stuff that's coming out, the first strike and the, um, uh, no, no fear box sets that are coming out soon. And, um, I mean, they won me back with the, with the eighth edition release stuff, but the prices are a little bit like 60 bucks yeah. for, 60 bucks for characters? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I remember back in my day, I went and bought uh, most of my characters between 18 and 32 bucks. And 32 bucks would get you mm. a badden. Oh, 60 bucks is too much. Uh, not bearing in mind, like, I have so many characters that I can use that there's not a huge attraction to get any more for me. But that still seems pretty extreme. Whereas the actual other models, for what you're getting out of them in a, in a game level, actually seemed pretty reasonable. I was hoping they'd start to bring it out to something that's affordable and encourages me to keep buying their product rather than just stretch it as far as yeah. I can. And then, uh, <laughs> rather than just going, oh, hey, look, uh, you want a librarian, a Primaris librarian? Uh, 60 bucks. Like, whoa. Yeah, I'll, put a, I'll put one of my spare Grey Knight Force weapons on one of my generic Primaris movies, call a librarian, save there myself some cash. Yeah. <laughs> Back to kit bashing. Kit bash myself a psychic hood. I can do that. (laughs) Kit bash is good fun. You can always find someone that can mold one out of green stuff for you. Oh yeah, I know. I know someone. I could someone specific. (laughs) Like even like I know I understand that. Oh yeah, it's a a little box that has plenty of options for you to run. Um, but 
I mean, the Chaos Terminator Lord, still only like 40 bucks. So even then that like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm getting the same amount, if not more plastic in the box from a Terminator Lord um, than I am from the Primaris Captain. But even then, like, oh, oh, you had goodwill and now you're pricing. Yeah. And I've got to admit, having played with that, uh, the Dark Imperium, the Space Marine side of that box set, whilst they're good, I like the balance of the force, the, the models look beautiful. Something I started to notice is um, the Primaris Marines. They have no form of transport right now. The the Primaris Captain, for example, being what is mostly seems to be the equivalent of a Terminator and his stats and what he's got. He can't teleport in, I can't put him in anything. If I want to try and be offensive, I have to walk my way across the board. And that's starting to limit my uh, tactical options on those guys. Yeah, it seems that the Primaris really take, get advantage when you're doing a defending mission. Mm. Although I admit the idea of uh, mixing them up, they have the one unit that can deep strike in, combining that with maybe a squad of Terminators, a Librarian Terminator or something that can get to the far side. It'll be curious to see how they start playing when they're mixed in like they were recommended with a, with a bit of a vanilla army. Used as line holders themselves. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, How do you uh, find the Nurgle? We've had that one test game so far. Yes, we've had one test game with the Dark Imperium set. Usually, mm-hmm. it's been Tyranids versus whatever Marines are available at the time um, when we've been playing. But yeah, the the Death Guard, I am now a big fan of. Um, I may be delving my way back into the warp uh, and pulling out all my Chaos Marine stuff and possibly retconning it to a complete Death Guard army. We shall see. They seem so. They very, very, very damn near stomped me. Oh, yeah. It was a lot of fun. One was Papa Nurgle. Yeah, Papa Nurgle. Dude, those Poxwalkers Mm. are, like, in numbers. They are amazing. And they're happy. Yeah, they're always happy. So happy. I love how happy they are. I love the Sorcerer blowing kisses. (laughs) Cool. All right. um, So... What else we got with 8th Ed? Obviously, they got some new stuff coming out. The easy-to-build packs that have, like, three models in each. They're only going to be, like, yeah. 25 bucks in Australian. So, I mean, if you want to build out a bit more Primaris stuff or a bit more Death Guard stuff, like, it's it's not too pricey on that front. But, I mean, obviously, with the character stuff, price is a big it, deal. It is also something I'm curious to see because at least in the stuff they've released for the uh, the... the, the Primaris Marines so far, there's not much in the way of customizability. They have what they have. There's about one war gear option you can change, which is whether or not their lieutenants have a, have a gun or a sword, but there's not a lot of room there to, you know, customize the army, both in that they all come in very set, pre-standing. They, they, they look cool. They look really good, but I can't make them varied from the next player over rather than which paint job I put on them. They're all standing in the same way. I can't change their weapons. So I imagine like that's partly because those uh, starter sets come with the easy to build models in a general sense. They have less options than they always have. So maybe the I, new kits come out will be a bit better. I very much hope you're right. Um, but uh, so far, the rule book hasn't left any room for changing. But those codexes that are coming out, they might change all this. The codexes might come out with more advanced Primaris Marines, more change loadouts. Again, with these new kits coming out, will hopefully give us some more options there. But uh, so far, I'm a bit like, ooh, I'm, I'm yeah, stuck in a box. It looks like the new um, 
the new Primaris Reavers as well. It looks like there's going to be no uh, customization when it comes to those models at the moment, not without entirely cutting arms and, and remolding them because um, just, just, so just looking at the uh, easy to build uh, product pages now and yeah, like they look great, like having stealthy guys with skulls on their faces. Um, might be going for a more, you know, as you're saying, easy build um, yeah. market platform for most of their things. But you know, we'll see how we go over time. I'm, I'm a, I played back in third and fourth ed where you could really customize the hell out of your marines and your guard and your make add a lot of flavor to it. Paid foot points wasn't necessarily tactically a good choice, but it was fun and it's one of the biggest things I'm looking forward to in this this PowerPoint system, being able to deploy my veteran squads with all these different arrays of weapons without getting tied down in the the nitty gritty of figuring out the points as well as the uh, sum total therein. Oh, uh, those were the those were the days of the Wild West. If I want to rock two power fists, I'm gonna rock two power fists. You can't tell me no. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to do oh, it. Yeah. Dude, that's a terrible idea. I know. But I love it. <laughs> Worth it. Absolutely. <laughs> Alrighty. So that's our, uh, that's our thoughts on Warhammer 8th edition. Of course, if you are in the Brisbane area, you can always swing by the store. And uh, if Dom, Jess, or myself are in there, you can probably catch us for a game. Um, we'd Absolutely. love to have a crack at some more 8th edition games. Um, I'll rip out the Tyranids and go ham with my Carnifexes as always. <laughs> I will get them next time. Eventually you will. Um so yeah. So that's uh one miniatures game and we're moving on to another cuz uh they've got a brand new faction coming out this uh this month. Uh the the I'd say the the second to Warhammer's first, the Warmer Hordes series, War Machine and Hordes from uh Privateer Press. Um the game that especially in Brisbane, is kind of underground against Warhammer, I would say. Everyone's oh, like... I don't know. You've got to remember that we have literally the world champions here in Brisbane. I know. And that's what I find so strange is that you can walk into a store and you go, what, do, you guys, do you guys play Warmer Hordes? And they'll be like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then like we rock some of the best teams in the world. Um, but yeah, a lot of I, I gotta say, if you aren't playing War Machine or Hordes and you're listening to this podcast, you've you've got to have a game. It is it is like fusing kill team from Warhammer in the skirmish aspect, and then D and D fourth edition with the characters, uh, with their all their stats and their special abilities, and having and the, the cap. I can see in. the cap. Yeah. Sorry, say that again, Jess. I had a bit of steampunk thrown in. Yeah, and throw a bit of steampunk with some magic and uh, you'll have a ridiculous day. Um, but what we need to talk about is the brand new one that's coming out this month, Grimkin the Wicked Harvest. These are a new faction hitting the scene for the particularly the Hordes side of the game, um, which uses fury and a bit of risk management um, as opposed to the resource management of uh, War Machine. First thoughts, uh, what are we thinking of those those models? Like it, it just as oh, Dom, like you were saying before, the camp. Oh yeah, they. I got to admit, like I love my grimdark forty k and all that stuff and like, the sense of heroism. But having a look at some of these warmer hordes, and particularly with this new Grimkin range, they're campy and they're full of puns and they look fun. 
they seem to maintain a, a obviously they're a bit uh, darker oriented themselves i don't know how what they compares to a lot of the other ones but they just look like they're having a great time and they'd be fun guys to play with Absolutely. And uh, for those who aren't familiar with the Grim Kid, a lot of it is uh, based off the the dark fantasy tales of the Brothers Grimm. Um, so whilst you're, you're looking at things like the Gorehound and the Rattler and the Skin and Moans, like all these undead things coming at you, <laughs> you've also got some ridiculous stuff in here like the Nayslayers, which are a bunch of goblins <laughs> riding hobby horses, but the heads of the hobby horses are the heads of real dead horses. Um, and the piggybacks, the, uh, the elite, elite shield wall team of, of pigs. <laughs> so that are riding on like little gremlin things. Having such a great time. Uh, this is, yes. it's, yeah. <laughs> so what, what are our, what are our thoughts on the model design? Like, uh, Jess, in comparison to some of the, the stuff that's already out there for warmer hordes, you know, with, with the troll buds, the circle, uh, Signar and, and Menoth. What, what are you thinking? How do you think these guys kind of fit in with the whole scheme and, and how you think they, they're uh, designed? Well, I think personally, I think they're definitely unique, but that can be said for a lot of uh, the races in Warmer Hordes. They tend to be fairly unique individually, but these guys are probably the only real dark faction other than Crix, um, who are another sort of undead steampunky, whereas these guys are undead, undead. But I love that the Nayslayers and like the uh, Keg Dudes and they're just uh, the piggyback riders. I don't know. They've they've taken really dark theme and added a bit of bit of fun to it, and it's great. Yeah, like I've always seen. Like every now and then, you see something come out of um, Privateer Press uh, when it comes to their models or their designs, where it's like it's in the world, but you're like, is that is that a digit itself? Um. <laughs> And and to me, this whole army is just one massive dig at itself. That it's just it's glorious. <sighs> the cask imps, the imps in the, the cask casks, one. yeah, yeah, that explode. But um, then, yeah, they got this. They got the you know the serious ones like the cage rattlers and the skin and moans. Like they're yeah. they're disgusting big beasties that are beautiful. Yeah, and then you've got other stuff like crabbits, which are literally crab rabbits. <laughs> you're just jealous i am i am so jealous man i just started playing troll bloods and now i'm like should i like no yeah maybe, maybe a little maybe a little <laughs> like i just finished painting the troll bloods but you know just 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 it's, it's basically you know it's like Papa nurgle but in warmer hordes yeah just just, yeah. Go, just join it just you, join just, <laughs> you, you just you gotta make your death death guard warmer hordes army do it yeah <laughs> Like you just gotta, you just finish painting your army up, and then you're like, maybe, maybe it is worth having goblins riding hobby horses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's I, it's definitely I, interesting. I gotta admit, having a look at these guys as well, they're much more reasonably priced. Oh yes, yeah. Yes. That's one thing with um, anyone who, who's a lot of I find a a lot of ex Warhammer guys float around the Warmer Horde circles that I've seen, like. Just because of the sheer pricing, um, pricing difference, like you, the amount of money you would pay, particularly in old Warhammer, to be able to field just a basic army, is what you would pay to get a specialized army in in Warmer Hordes. 
Oh, it's it's good to see. Like it, it, beyond the fact, Warm Horse is obviously keeping themselves nice and competitive there, and there's some arguments that could be made for them being a newer product. And, and Games Workshops always had their quality argument, but I really hope it starts to set a trend because it'd, it'd be nice to see a lot of these hobbies, not even just the 40k and and the Warm Horse, get to a more affordable point. Mm. So there is the counterpoint of they're not as customizable the models in themselves as yeah 40k is going in the same direction though so i don't know how long that that's true together. And, that, and that's yeah <laughs> I was like i was saying that and i'm like uh mm. yeah absolutely um yeah um cool so the models are obviously a big big point for grimkin um one thing we got to look at that comes out with grimkin is also a brand new mechanic with them and that would be the arcane mechanic so um for those out there not familiar with warmer hordes warmer hordes uses a system called feats every warlock gets uh one feat they can use once per game and what this really is is it's kind of a way to create a turning point in the game for you um or to just give you one big buff to to try and win through the game or, or survive to get into the winning blow um but grimkin's introducing something different these are called arcanes. Now, arcanes um, are more like triggered feats that are slightly less powerful and very oh. circumstantial. I don't know about the slightly less powerful in all cases. There's some pretty good ones there. There are some good but ones. The fact that they're conditional is a bit. It's it's the conditional really that that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's. Yeah. It so. So mainly Jess, I guess, because um, Dom, you don't actually play Warmer Hordes. So this is more of a question for, for Jess. How are you thinking um, Arcanes are going to change the game? I definitely think they're very interesting. So the way they work is you can take three of them. One of them is set for the uh, Warlock caster that you're playing, Warlock. Um, and the other two you take, and you don't have to tell your opponent. So they don't actually know what you have. So one of them is like, uh, if a model gets destroyed you can put for one turn down a large based war beast for one round. That's huge. For one round from a large based war beast can like knock out their caster, it can knock out another war beast and you can force it as much as you want because you don't have to worry about the repercussions of that resource management, stuff like that. So they have some very big plays that can be made that you're unsure of as the opponent. But yeah. as the person playing with it, you need to lure the opponent into this situation without them realizing what's happening. Yeah. And that's, that's the big difficulty of, and the big, the big key to that situational element is that trying to get your opponent to sit into that precise area to get it off. Um, or even allowing yourself. Cause I think there's a few that are triggered based on what happens to you in terms of, yep. of um, unit death or, or unit situations. Pretty much all of them, from my understanding, are from you getting attacked or dying. Yeah. So, so willing to take that hit for the possible possibility of of an advantage is quite interesting. I think it throws a lot more risk into um, into how uh, warmer hordes is played, especially hordes, because hordes at its core is is a risk is a risk game. It's um, yep. Finding out, uh, it, it's kind of risking the fury on your beasts, the rage on your beasts, on, on your war beasts to to do their specialties, to do their special spells, or to uh, hit harder or hit faster, 
whatever you want to do and taking that risk and seeing if it's going to pay off. Um, cause if you, if you risk too much and you don't, um, and you don't remove that fury in the next turn, like you have the potential for that beast to just go wild. So it, it really, it adds uh, probably almost another layer to that risk. I'd say. Um, yeah. Um, and in general, Grimkin are looking very much like a synergistic army. They're very glass cannony, very hard hitting, and they rely on a lot of synergy between the units. So, and their own units dying a lot. Yeah. It'd be yeah. interesting to see how that stacks with that whole risk management. Yes, absolutely. Um, I reckon it's going to be very, um, very well enjoyed by the Hordes players. I don't know if, I, I don't know if it's going to pull in War Machine players because that key element of War Machine is more resource management where you have the set amount to spend and and you you make those choices more tactically than, than on a risk assessment. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the Grimkin are picked up in the coming months. All right, so obviously with um, the talk we just had about the mechanics uh, of the game, it's, it, it looks like it's going to spice up uh, probably the meta of, of the systems and, and how the gameplay is going to play out. But in terms of uh, bringing new people in, uh, Jess, what do you think? Is this going to bring more people into the game or you see this as an army that's probably more built for the current players of the game? What are your thoughts? Um, I'd say it's more for the current players of the game, to be honest. Like The models might bring people in, uh, but it's definitely... It looks like it'll be a difficult army to play. Definitely looks like it'll be something different to play, that's for sure. And I think that's yes. That might be why it, it might it like to me it looks like it caters more for the current players than newer's newer players because like I said like we were saying in the mechanic design of that that dual layer of risk, it seems like it might be a bit too much risk for a new player to tactically handle, but it might be someone who's who's a bit of an old hand at, at hordes would go, yeah, right, I'll give this a crack. Um, uh, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Uh, Dom, wh what are you thinking? Is this something that would get you into the game or would you rather be looking at some of the other models to kind of see that? I'd probably need to look at some of the other models. Whilst it definitely looks nice, a lot of it just comes down to not being my flavor. Though I will have to stop and say that the fact that they're sitting there and by the sounds of it, catering to the players that are already there, that's not just uh, uh, pulling new people in, trying to make it more shiny. It, they're actually targeting their already existing audience. Uh, they've got a lot of respect for that. It'll be interesting to keep an eye on what they do in the near future if anything does draw my attention in. Cool, yeah. Well, one thing that I have to say that Privateer Press does very well is... is really keep the current players invested in the game. Like I think a new model drops from them like at least once a month now at a minimum. Yeah, they're pretty much monthly releases. So it, it, it's a constant, it's a constant flow of new models. So it, it definitely is something that a lot of people pull up and they grab one and they go, oh, this might work and I'll add it to the army and see how it plays. Um, it's it's cool. uh, not only that, but recently they've been doing really good testing cycles so the cid testing they've been moving away from the physical cards and trying to get everyone to use the application yeah as well as just manually printed cards because they're you know every couple of months re-releasing the rules and balancing the game actively um which is amazing yeah absolutely and, and being able to to do that digitally like and but not that much either like if you get the base the base war room app um, you get the the stuff from the starter sets included as the cards, but then if you um, you can pay for like having the whole factions card list, and it's not 
It's not too pricey. It's a little bit expensive, um, but cheaper than if you wanted to buy the book, which, you know, doesn't update. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they're all available free on their website. You can download them, print them out, put them in your own sleeves. So, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's another thing. And I think I th- I think that maybe um, and my mind just fried. And, and that's what I think. Uh, the the big thing from Warhammer is that they're kind of doing that too when it comes to um, when it comes to the rules being available. Like I know Warhammer was always very protective about their rules, but now seeing, I think, I think that Privateer Press, the, the what, the, I think that Privateer Press has kind of influenced their decision to bring, bring out that rules digest, and have that available for people to play at any time. Um, yeah, it definitely sounds like they're trying to make it a lot more accessible. From what I can tell, they're releasing the the small rules cards when you buy a particular box set. So when you buy something, you got the rules to it, which might also be leading into them planning to follow a similar thing of regularly releasing new things. And it might not be in your in your indices or in your codex, but hey, all you need to play is in this little card in the box. Absolutely, and that that'll be a great change for Warhammer to follow up with as well. So. Oh yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of other big games. Infinity being another one that all release their rule sets for free, and I don't understand why it's not a bit bigger. Yeah, exactly. I think I think I do think that Games Workshop had a bit of that that moment of we can't let anyone touch our stuff. This is our stuff. But now they're kind of opening back up to the gamers. Um, obviously, we see they released the FAQ for Eighth Edition before Eighth Edition even dropped. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, but yeah, even things like Malifaux, they all have their rules available for free as well. And um, I think each model comes with their, their relevant rules uh, rules cards as well. Um, but yeah, like it's something that everyone else has been doing and now finally Warhammer's catching up. So it'll be good to see that in the future. Oh yeah. The old conservative model, if it is. <laughs> <laughs> that wraps it up for the major topics. So let's uh, let's chat hobby really at the end here. Uh, what new things have you guys found when it comes to you know painting, modeling, basing, everything that comes to comes with the the arty farty side of playing mini war games? Uh, I can't say that I found a whole lot new, but I have since the drop of eighth had painted about seventy miniatures, all of my tyranids. Um, got myself a new airbrush and have been sticking into them. So that's good to actually start to see the army uh, taking shape in the correct colors. Absolutely. I got to say one of the best things that you could ever experience as a Warhammer player is an army as a table with a fully painted army of Tyranids. It's amazing. Like (laughs) particularly when that. Sorry, you go Dom. Yeah. Maybe not Tyranids per se, but definitely (laughs) having a fully painted army is nice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no, you don't get it. Painted Tyranids is like a whole nother level. I'm pretty sure every... T- oh, yeah, yeah. But that same thing passes on to both Orcs and Imperial <laughs> Guard. If you're not playing- Actually, even if you're playing a Tank Guard army, tanks are a pain in the butt. Oh, yeah, that's why you just spray them black and hope for the best. <laughs> oh, that's my plan. My new tank color scheme is black with a big red stripe down the middle. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. That'll be fine. Yep. Uh, Dom, claim the Inquisition or something shiny. <laughs> paint him something shiny. Just paint them all with silver paint from Bunnings. Ah, uh, they're all grey knights now. <laughs> I've got melted. them to deploy with. Uh, Dom, anything new for oh, you, man? That. 
Oh, look, I've had some pretty similar fun on uh, playing through my uh, painting. Painting through my Primaris Marines, getting them out to be my Blood Raven color scheme. I was curious to see how that turned out. It turned out really good. It was also the first time I've tried painting on the sprue. Yeah. Kind of mixed results when it comes to the shading. It's quite hard to get a lot of them being on the same angle. But for the base coating and some of the basic colors and details, it saved me a lot of time. It allowed me to get those guys blasted away in uh, a little under a week. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Um, I, I used to be a big fan of painting on the sprue. Um, now I'm kind of a big fan of something like I've discovered this week of undercoating white and then just shading as much as possible. Um, this is like when you thing. Uh, the pox walkers have come together so quick purely because I undercoated them white and then um, did a flesh shade wash and then a camo shade wash to make them look ugly and rotten. Uh, oh, yeah. It, it like it took no time. <laughs> I found with Nogle, they are a great army for that and, and the mob things because they are a very wash heavy army. Yeah. They do work quite well by, by going through those ones, which has probably made them a good choice for the new the new editions release box when they are looking at going for the obviously try bring in new people, and make it a bit more accessible. Yeah, and much easier painting them. Um and then even mm. then like I haven't even nice. started the Primaris yet, but I already see that the painting them is gonna be an easy task. Just undercoat white again and then um work on um, my layer colours. Won't take them long to, to come together. Oh, yeah. Um, one of the things I did use for the first time this week was the uh, texture paints from Citadel. Hmm. Now, I know they've been around for a while. Some people have used them. People are like, eh, Citadel. Um, I absolutely love this Cracking Earth stuff. Like, if you, if you haven't used them yet, um, the, the way the, the texture paint works is you the, the amount you put on the, the surface it tells basically dictates how cracked the the surface will be um depending on what paint you use i've been using uh i think it's a grill and badlands which is like a guys remember the old graveyard earth brown that was like the base of every model oh yeah um every model in third and fourth edition which was like because they were like eh, goblin greens to to uh neoni which was i think first and second edition was that stuff um and it just it just comes out great, and it's quite easy to just dry brush and then do a quick wash, um, and just get a base that looks textured without having to go through the effort of dipping it, in, uh, brushing glue on, dipping it in sand, brushing off the sand, wait for it to dry, and layering the colors on, and doing the the dry brushing. Like it's just, I'm a lazy painter. So I'll find quick ways to do things. And this is just, for me, it's the fastest way to get a great textured base. So absolutely do it. Give it a try if you haven't already. So that's all for this episode of Assembly Required. As always, uh, make sure you subscribe to us here on SoundCloud or if you're listening via the Apple podcast, uh, make sure you subscribe to the feed on there and every episode will be downloaded directly to your inbox. Uh, as always... Assembly Required is sponsored by Vault Games here in Brisbane, Australia. Uh, if you need any Citadel paints uh, or miniatures, accessories or hobby, uh, including frontline gaming mats or even laser cut terrain, um, come in and see them. Get you some of the best stuff there is uh, in that world. Um, also, if you're looking to pre-order the new Grimkin, you will be able to find them up on the website um, in the coming days. 
So just look out for him there. Uh, as always, thank you so much, Jess and Dom, for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you. And we will catch you next month for Assembly Required. Assembly Required.